When it comes to running a business, do you have a secret army around you? In other words, are you surrounded by a team of like-minded individuals, including the people leading your business, employees, customers, and advocates from the general public, aka your cheerleaders? You know, people who can help you achieve your core purpose in life, people who can help drive you to achieve your mission and vision, and people who can help you stay motivated when times are tough. Today, I'm chatting with Gina Balleran on this idea of the secret army, and based on her extensive marketing experience, she has plenty of wisdom to share. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Marketing and Me podcast. If you're eager to grow your health and wellness business via effective marketing methods while maintaining your own health and wellness, this podcast is for you. The show features a beautiful blend of guest and solo episodes covering marketing and business growth topics, as well as ways to improve your physical, mental, and emotional self. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, a health and wellness copywriter and content marketing trainer who's here to help perfect your message, then find the right channels to send it out into the scary online world with the ultimate goal of making it heard and seen by your ideal client. So feel free to book in a free 15-minute chat with me after listening to today's episode. The details are in the show notes. And today I'm joined by my guest, Gina Ballerin. Welcome, Gina. It's delightful to be here, Leanne. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Did I pronounce your surname right? I forgot to check you that. You did. Most people pronounce it incorrectly. They call me Ballerin, uh, sorry, Ballerin, Ballerin, but it's Ballerin, Gina Ballerina. That's me. Ballerin. Perfect. So just to give everyone a rundown of who you are, she is an inspirational TEDx and keynote speaker, storyteller, and B2B marketing leader. She's also the author of The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of people. Gina's goal is to magnify the impact of her client's influence through her expert guiding hand, visionary consultancy, and authentic storytelling prowess. She sits on the boards of Project Displaced and the Chartered Institute of Marketing and is a member of the Professional Speaking Association. When she's not telling stories, Gina loves hiking, doing Zumba, and drinking G&Ts. I love it. I haven't done Zumba in so long, but I I love it when I do it. I just, yeah, I think when I, maybe next year, that's probably a next year thing, I'll get back into it because it's so much fun. It absolutely is. There's something about being energized by music and the communal flow of people doing the same activity and time with music that actually creates quite an interesting group experience. And while I've done Zumba online uh, during lockdown, it's just not quite the same. No, I tried last year doing some dance classes online and actually it just annoyed me because we know we're just doing it casual for fun. It's not going to turn to a concert, but there were people who were going, can you just confirm? I think it's in reverse. Are you doing your left side now or your right side? Is your hand like next to your ear or is it more like down slightly towards your chin? I'm like, You're like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just, oh, this interruption. Like, I, who, why does it matter? I like this dance. This, yeah. So I did that one class and that was it. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to get back. Uh, something about Zumba, I think just the, the energy, like you said, and the, mm-hmm. the music, um, 
I don't know. It's just got a really good. It's yeah. very upbeat and it's dynamic, but I think there is also something about the originator, Berto Perez, who really had the sense that Zumba was for fun. It wasn't about taking yourself so seriously. It wasn't about an exercise class that it was about you having the perfect abs. It was about, can you move? Can you put one foot in front of the other? Then you can do Zumba. Go for it. Have fun. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter whether you're in time or not. Just enjoy it. And that's what I love. And you get that dynamic from the the presenter if they're good at what they do. But there's something about being in a room full of people who are like taking it to different intensities that just... It, it, I don't know, maybe it invokes my spirit of inherent competition as well. <laughs> maybe. Uh, all right, we're, to, we're not talking about Zumba though today. Um, we are talking about the power of your secret army. But before we dive into that, could you please share a little bit more about your business journey? What kind of got you into the marketing space? We'd love to hear about it. So I've basically been in marketing since I started business, but I didn't realize I was in marketing at the time. And I started off being an administrator for a foundation at a university, and they needed everything doing from their finance systems to setting up uh, their first newsletters, emails, websites, course coordination, all of which we know are marketing activities. I didn't know that at the time. So having spent time setting up this organization, doing what was marketing, I moved into the UK and they wanted a a content coordinator. I'm like, what the heck is that? And ended up studying through the Chartered Institute of Marketing to get a professional diploma in marketing. And I tell you what, I'd done a bachelor's degree, an honors degree and a master's degree. And the CIM professional diploma was harder than anything I'd done before. And it made me realize that marketing is both an art and a science, but also that it is incredibly complex. So you and I are both fortunate enough to tell stories for a living, but that's just a fraction of a fraction of what marketing involves. And so my journey through marketing has always been in kind of communication, corporate communication, mostly for B2B enterprises. And through that journey, I've been in positions where I've worked as a marketing director, looked after the whole spectrum of distribution, as well as content creation, as well as amplification. And come back to a point where I'm really looking at how can I help organizations see what they don't see? Because the challenge when you're living in an an organization or an industry where people have been for decades or they know that this is the status quo, it's hard to see how things could be different. And so the pleasure of working as a consultant being slightly outside of an organization is that I can see things that they can't by the very nature of being an outsider. And so consultancy is something I've been doing for the last five years with Verbalistics. And I get to do individual pieces of content creation, which just gives such joy and delight. Case studies are my personal favorite. I don't get to do those as often as I used to. But the great thing about case studies and storytelling is that when you know how you can get a customer story and use that in all of the various different marketing tactics across from the top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom of the funnel, and beyond, then you know that the authenticity converts. And that's what makes marketing so rewarding when you're actually able to do something that you have genuinely happy customers, which then allow you to get new customers with the confidence that they will end up being genuinely happy customers too. Yes. And then there'll be more case studies and just kind of, you know, rinse and repeat and you have these amazing stories. And I say, yeah, I was just saying actually this morning for um, a website job, if you've got testimonials, if you've got anything like that, you need to have them visible. Be proud of those 
because when exactly. other, people, other people see it, like you're not tooting your own horn, it's just saying this is someone who's happy, I can do this for you as well. And the, the reader just puts themselves into their shoes and go, oh, they have the same problem yep. as I'm having right now. You can actually help me. So it's it's just that extra level of proof. It's it's that third voice, um, second voice, I don't know, what is it? Um, you know, that just is saying. Well, it's that- kind of like you're one voice, so your customer is the second voice, and then the prospect is the third voice. So, yeah, your customer is a completely independent source, and it's trustworthy in a way that you really can't fake because customers – speak in a different voice and if you're using them authentically then you're actually able to use their voices even if you can't use their names and companies as in the case of a lot of b2b organizations and they're like oh i can't use their name doesn't matter was it a person who was passionate about what they said well then you can tell just put that up there it stands for itself yeah i love it i love it um, and so i have mine oh, i mean i have some of my website and i yeah create social media posts for it and yeah get onto it uh, so wanted to talk about, um, so you have this amazing book and I'll just hold up to the camera uh, for those who are looking at the YouTube. So the secret army leadership marketing and the power of people. And I've, I've started skimming through it and now I'm like, okay, I really have to read this properly because it's anything <laughs> marketing related, right? I'm like, I'm interested. This is cool. And, and leadership. So um want to talk about how, before we go too far into the book, how do we work towards achieving success for ourselves rather than like, you know, just people, we all talk about success, right? So what is success? How do we achieve it versus define it? Uh, just want to get your thoughts on that. The question about success is a tricky one because every person defines success individually. Uh, the challenge for me was when you originally asked the question in preparation, you were like, how do you define success? And it really knocked me for a six because I thought, how do I define success? Would I call myself successful? No, but why not? And that's because for me, success is actually about achieving something more. And if you are, there's a difference between happiness and success. I'm a very happy person. I find moments to be happy and joyful every single day. I delight in things that are happening in my environment, even if I'm going through tough times. It's a type of resilience. But that doesn't mean that I will necessarily call that success. Because to me, success means going one step further. A lot of the times I'll do something that I'm proud of and go, yes, and because I expected it to happen. Because success means getting something done, delivering it, getting it out there into the world and moving on. So to the question of how should people define success for themselves and then work towards achieving success, I think a lot of it comes to do with what are you comfortable with and what do you want to achieve? And to me, actually, the answer there is define success as something that's just a little bit beyond what you're comfortable with, because that means then that success also means learning to be less fearful and that every single time you do something that you're afraid of, you become a little bit more brave. It's a beautiful quote, but I forget who said it, that courage like a muscle is strengthened by use. In fact, it was Ruth Gordon, who was an American actress. And the point is that when you think about it, your muscles get stronger when you exercise. So do your fear muscles. So the more you're able to exercise that activity of doing something that makes you slightly uncomfortable, like putting a quote up on a website, the more likely you are to achieve success, which is taking everything just one step further every time you do it. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And I've been trying to do little things outside of my comfort zone, like 
I like to have really hot showers, um, like even in, in summer, but I've heard that the whole cold shower thing. And so I have tried to, yeah, this book I was just been reading, um, Not Nice, and it said, you know, have that cold shower because, you know, it makes you uncomfortable. And then anything else you face in your day, you're like, well, I can handle a cold shower, so bring it on, you know. And so I've tried doing little things like that and I'm I'm now trying to get up at 5.30, which now with Dallas Savings now is quite dark. I'm like, no, I can do this. I imagine I, I know how good I feel after I go for a run at this time of day and I still have time to do a bit of work before kids wake up. So I, and I always, like anyone who knows me well, I, I'm always kind of going, what else can I do? I'll try this. I'll try that, try that. Yeah, I've never done it before, but I'll give it a go. And worst case scenario, it doesn't work out, but who knows, it might work out. And so, yeah, this podcast is one of those things, right? Um, So, yeah, I really like that. Even I, look, I don't know how I define my own success. I think just in general it is feeling some sort of self-satisfaction, having a Mm. balance. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, people say, what do you fear? And I often say fear of success because I'm like, okay, if I'm successful, well, I still have time for my family, which is why I started my business in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I'm like, no, yes, I can make this work. I can get other team members on. I can create a business where I can still have that balance and still be successful, successful, whatever that is. Um, I guess also it is, you know, that bit of that financial freedom too, right? It's everyone thinks about, but that's not my core thing. Um, so with the, the, the secret army, there's a few different elements to it. There's the customers, there's like the, the leaders in your team, and there's also yourself. And I want to start with, so in, in your book, you talked about TEDx speaker, um, is it Simone? It's not Simone, is it? Cause it's, it's a guy. Um, yeah, it is actually Simone, even though he Simone? is Simon. Yeah. Because it's a, he's got an E on the end of his name, right? But it's a guy. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, Simone Vincenzi about sleeping with his customers. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting concept. I thought um, if you just like tell us a little bit more about that, but ultimately it's about developing a clear customer persona or personas who know, and I talk about this when I'm talking about training and stuff, you need to understand your customer and understand the pain points and everything like that. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about his talk and then your thoughts on developing that uh, persona? So Simone Vincenzi actually talked about sleeping with your customers from the perspective of literally sleeping in the same room as your customers. And he shared... Uh, coexisted in a space with his customers. And that meant he got to know them and understand them. Now, the challenge with a lot of personas is that people think of a persona as a caricature. And actually, you know, there's this person of this age, this socioeconomic status, you know, they're in this role in this industry. That's great. It's a good starting point. But that doesn't actually tell you about what their customers really are. It doesn't tell you about their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their ambitions and, in fact, what success looks like for them. So what I've realized in many years of doing marketing personas is that it's not enough. It's not enough to just complacently go, I assume that I'm talking to this person. This is partly why doing case studies is so rewarding for the person who gets the privilege of interviewing customers, because you start to understand what is it about the organization that makes it really genuinely special in the eyes of the customers. So a lot of agencies, when they uh, create personas for organizations, interview the customers on behalf of the organization. And I think, you know, that's great, but it's also really missing a trick because if you aren't interviewing your customers, you don't hear what they really have to say. You can get a summary, sure, 
But actually, it's so rewarding to listen to customers and to experience their joys and triumphs. And another element that um, I discuss a little bit later in the book, I think, is actually talking about the ladder of loyalty. What you realize when you interview your customers is that even though customers can become more and more loyal over time, there is a fear that a lot of people have that when you ask a customer for a testimonial, they're going to remember all of the bad things that you did with them. And the irony is, in fact, that customers who have had challenges, theoretically gone down the, lower of la- uh, the ladder of loyalty, actually become more loyal. They move from being supporters to being advocates when you solve their problems for them and with them. And they ultimately become partners because they're interested in using your tool, your solution, your product, your service in order to help them solve their challenges. And it's by building that deep-seated sense of collaboration that you can actually understand a persona even better than just by knowing how many kids they have or where they like to hang out. Don't get me wrong, those are important that there are, there are good places to start. And if you've never done anything looking at personas before, start there. But more importantly, realize that ultimately your persona has problems that you are uniquely placed to solve. And if you can understand those from your customer's perspectives, that's the most important element of a persona. Yes, I love that because it's true. Otherwise, like, oh, yeah, they're this age is demographic and it's really 2D. It's not really delving into who they really are. And if you can't picture a real life person that, you know, you can talk to, it just, it's just, yeah, it won't work. You won't delve in deep enough. I guess that's one of the reasons why, like, my meetup group that I run, I have health and wellness business owners who I just, yeah, a lot of them I consider my friends. I'm like, I really get to know them so I can kind of, I know if I can help them or not with, you know, with the work that I do. And um, and actually, we were saying before, with the whole, those most disgruntled clients often become, yeah, you know, biggest advocates. I There's been so many instances of, yeah, me working in the past. My husband, he also works in sales. He's had that. Uh, you know, he's come to a new business. The old salesperson gave, you know, a really poor experience to the client and they're like, oh, we're going to leave. We're not going to work with you guys again. And he like, let me fix your problems. And they end mm. up becoming his bigger, you know, biggest Absolutely. customer. And so it's, but I'm not, we're not saying here, by the way, don't purposely upset your client to then say, <laughs> hey, I can fix it. Um, don't purposely do that. But don't be afraid. And I say this, like, if you have the negative Google reviews and things, don't be afraid of that. Just respond to it honestly saying, oh, I'm sorry for that way. Say, let call me ASAP. Let's resolve it. Other people will see you at least attempting to fix the problem, whether it's mm. resolved or not. It just shows that you're not afraid to stand up and, and make sure your customers are happy. So mm. um, I think that's that's really important as well. Um, so, okay, so the next point I want to touch upon was the like the leadership side of things. So what's the difference between management and leadership? Anyone who's ever worked for either a manager or a leader will know in their gut the difference between someone who just focuses on tasks and someone who actually looks at the bigger picture and tries to help them feel like they're part of something bigger. I've worked for managers who focused on getting things done, on setting objectives, on ticking off boxes, on telling me exactly what to do. Did they get stuff out of me? Sure. But the people who inspired me to do more, to be more, to accomplish more, those were the leaders who were able to actually make me not just want to do the tasks, but who challenged me to be and accomplish something that was not defined simply by a task. 
And perhaps that's actually the difference between a manager and a leader, is that a manager looks at what needs to be done according to some definition, whatever that is. A leader looks at what is possible or what isn't even possible but might be that we could conceive of, something that's bigger than just the stuff that's laid out in front of us. And to me, that's the biggest difference, is that a, that a manager sits in a box and works with boxes. A leader likes to think of things as more free-flowing. It doesn't mean that you can't have people who are both leaders and managers, but they're very rare. And when they are discovered, the risk is that you have to put leaders into a box in order to make them fit into organizations. And that's when, more often than not, you end up stifling their uh, leadership creativity and their passion. The best places to work are often those where leaders are free to be able to explore not only who they are, but to explore what they can achieve within the company. And by extension, they inspire and encourage those one, two, three, six layers down from them to be able to achieve more too. Yeah. And so then if they've inspired the staff beneath them, then obviously they come across differently with the customers. And this is how it all, this is where it all fits in everyone, the power of the secret army, because it all feeds down. You're thinking about if the customers, you're keeping them happy, they feel heard and everything like that. The leaders and managers in your team, they're kept inspired. They're, yeah, they're, they're leading those employees. And then, and then we'll come in a minute to yourself, but uh, it's, yeah, I, I've definitely had my sh- fair share of experience with just yeah, get this stuff done. And I'm like, I just don't feel like, yeah, it doesn't really excite me very much. But when it's like, can you help me solve this problem and see what kind of ideas you come up with? Oh, that's when I can really, you know, get excited and, and see what I can do. I think we're moving into a world where leadership is actually more common because one of the points that is human nature to want to achieve is to look at autonomy, mastery and purpose. Now, Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And in it, he lists research from another source about these three factors. Now, when you think about it, what does a manager do with autonomy? They go, well, I want to give you autonomy, but in a, in a, within guidelines. What do they do with mastery? Yes, you can become an expert, but you can become an expert in the place that we've said you're allowed to become an expert. Purpose, great. We're going to give you a purpose. We're going to tell you what the organization's purpose is. Sure, if you want to do more than that, that's great. But as long as you tick my box... A leader, and by extension, an organization that is encourages leadership and encourages bigger thinking, thinks of people as, you want to be autonomous? Great. We need to do that stuff. Do that stuff, but don't stop there. What else do you need to do? How else can you think about problems, solve problems, find new ways of doing things? Mastery. Become an expert at that. That's fantastic. But don't stop there. Let's share that mastery. Let's make sure that other people can also learn to become masters of their own tools. Let's make sure that the mastery that we achieve as individuals can also be shared. Purpose, well, what's the purpose of purpose? The purpose of purpose is to make sure that we're all trying to achieve something more. And I would argue that since being in lockdown, so many of us have realized that it is so important to have a purpose, something driving us, something that is able to make us get out of bed in the mornings and to be able to go to sleep at night with a sense of gratitude, but also a sense of, you know what, I might not have been able to do everything on my to-do list, but am I at least working towards something that gives me a feeling of, oh, that's nice. Yes, and that's all the part of the the, the own power part, and I love that. Um, actually, can you just delve a little bit more into what like autonomy, mastery, and purpose—the difference between each of those? Like autonomy—is it just 
Uh, is it working independently from anyone? I obviously still want to have teamwork tied in somewhere, but uh, if you just yeah, go into each of those a little bit more, I think it's really interesting. So autonomy is the ability to feel like you have control of tasks. Now, this is the irony is that you can work within a team and the team can still be autonomous. It means that you have freedom and flexibility to scale up and down. One of the great examples is actually a hotel. Um, I think it might be the Four Seasons. I'm not quite sure. And what they do is they give their employees the autonomy to have a certain amount of budget that they could spend on a customer's problem at any point in time. And anyone in the organization can spend, I think it's up to $1,000, whether you are the maid cleaning the floor or the night watchman or the chairperson of the hotel. If a customer has a problem, you can spend up to $1,000 immediately and instantly to resolve that issue. Now, does, isn't, doesn't that give you a fantastic sense that you can actually make a difference? So maybe actually, if we think about it, autonomy is the ability to make a difference, which fits into the sense of purpose, right? Purpose, we know, is, is the reason for being. Your organization can have a purpose that is as simple as, I want to create the best widget in the world. Or your purpose could be, my purpose is to help people feel proud of the way their bodies look and the way they feel about themselves. All of those mean that if you are strong on that purpose, it makes it easy to set a mission, vision, goals, if that's the way you want to do it. You don't have to go into that level of formality. But even if you only have one employee, you might help you out on a daily basis with, you know, ticking your tick boxes or making sure that your social media posts go online. That sense of purpose translates into everything they do. They know that, let's say, for example, my purpose is to inspire people to communicate better. I have this big, hairy-ass goal, which is actually to eliminate human suffering at work. It's it's enormous. I can't achieve that on my own. But if I don't set that goal, that means I won't have something to focus on that then becomes a sense of purpose. So it means that if I can help someone write something, that's going to make them just a little bit more confident about removing their own unhappiness at work. It means that that's already sitting there in my brain. And it means that when I'm looking at developing mastery of a task, I'm also focused on how is that mastery going to achieve a higher goal? How am I going to become better and better at this thing? And that's the interesting thing about mastery is if you do it individually, it becomes self-serving, which is great. It helps people feel uh, really good about what they're doing. And often it helps people focus, which then means they get into a moment of flow, which means that work becomes effortless. It becomes timeless. You're in the zone. But what also happens with mastery is often people who become masters are able to, sometimes with a little bit of encouragement, to be able to share that knowledge. And most of all, people who are masters don't need to share all the level of mastery, but they actually just need to share hints and tips here and there, which is partly why when you think about it, the internet is completely full of five ways to do this or X things to fix that. Because in a way, we're all trying to help improve our mastery and therefore to help other people improve their mastery of whatever task it is, whether you're, you know, five ways to make a better loaf of bread or five ways to do the perfect push-up. Yeah, exactly. And that's where all the little, um, you know, little social media posts come in. You have that blended in, all the little tips and things to help people with their, well, I mean, in our case, you know, marketing tips or it could be, um, yeah, the the, the oh, fitness tips or whatever it is, all those little things that you've got all locked in your brain and you just give a little bit out to other people because they're all, most people 
I mean, yeah, I think most people are trying to improve themselves in some shape or form, whether they actually go and take that action or they just think about, oh, I really should lose weight and not know anything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that. That's very interesting. So we can um, look look more into that in the book. If you'd like to pick up a copy, I'll put a link in um, the show notes. But um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So Gina, I always ask my guests this, and that is, uh, what's the best marketing method for your business? Well, for my personal business or for my for your client's business? For yours. For me, the best way of marketing myself is actually to have one-to-one conversations with people and to connect with them on LinkedIn, but also for clients to refer me into other clients. And the interesting thing is that over time, clients come and go depending on what the nature of their work is and depending on how busy they are, whether they're able to do most of their work in-house or whether they need to outsource to someone else because I work for a lot of large enterprise customers. But what really works for me is actually asking for testimonials. And the funny thing is that you think you've worked a certain way with a client. If you're brave enough to ask for that testimonial, the stuff that they can come back with can honestly be surprising and delightful. I've had moments where just the tears streamed down my eyes. I'm like, really? Is that what we did together? Because like you, I believe in developing a relationship with clients, in understanding the problems not only that we're solving for ourselves, but that we're solving for their customers and solving for their customers' customers. And as a result, it means that we're actually able to achieve work that we're really proud of. So for me, the best marketing is to reach out to people. So if you're listening to this, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, it takes a couple of clicks, but if you're keen, you know, just get connected. But, but be authentic because authentic recommendations, authentic referrals, and authentic connections are absolutely the way that anyone who works in the services industry provides an excellent service can genuinely connect with other people. Love it. I love it. I have had an episode about that with, um, yeah, about LinkedIn outreach and doing the, the human, yeah, make sure it's all human connection, not just sales pitches and, and all the rest of it. It's just, um, yeah, it, it makes such a difference. <laughs> it was really, I'm a hit. Um, yeah, check it out. But there's another question I always ask, and that is, how do you take care of your health and wellness? I'm the kind of person who likes to focus on being optimistic. And that means that for me, getting out and seeing the sunshine, getting moving is important. So um, exercises is mostly walking and hiking. I haven't been good about Zumba recently, but that dancing, moving to music is really great for me. I have had challenges with keeping myself hydrated enough. So here's a tip for anyone. When you're drinking a lot of tea or coffee, on some days when you're just plowing through the work and there's deadline after deadline for me, I don't drink enough water. So I've actually started to implement a rule where I am allowed to have one cup of tea and one glass of water, and I have to drink them both before I'm allowed to make another cup of tea. Oh, I like that because I'm also guilty. I always have the tea, and sometimes I haven't got through my whole bowl of water yet, and I make another one. Maybe I should do that. That's easy. That's easy to do. It's it's these, these quick tips. Another one is habit stacking. So um, there is a great uh, book by the name of someone who got forgotten, which is about uh, the power of habit, Charles Duhigg. There we go. The brain found it. Um, and he talks about um, the importance of being able to create and sustain habits. And if you think about it, there are a lot of habits that you'll do one after the other. For example, you wake up in the morning, you go have a shower, you brush your teeth, you go to the kitchen, you turn on the kettle. Right. What if your habit is that you want to create a new habit is, for example, you want to do 20 star jumps a day, but you just can't find yourself finding a way to do those star jumps. What you do is you build a new habit within the stack of existing habits. 
So you wake up in the morning, you go have a shower, you go to the kitchen to make a cup of tea. And while your kettle is boiling, you do your 20 star jumps. You're actually stacking the habit within an existing set of habits. And that makes it so much easier to do and repeat. And then soon, as soon as you know it, you're doing 20 star jumps every time you put the switch, flick the switch on the kettle. Yeah, I have heard of that. All um, it was every time you go to the bathroom, you do yeah push ups or something like after exactly. you wash your hands or before you, I don't know whatever. Maybe maybe after you wash your hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's okay. I'll keep both those things in mind. I really should. I've started doing a bit of the habit stacking bit when the kids want me to just play with them on the floor, and I'm like, I'm just sitting here because me playing with them is me really watching them just them play. So I've started doing some stretches and things. Well. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm on the floor. I might as well do some stretches rather than sit here like a plot. Uh, <laughs> um, and you've already mentioned LinkedIn, but how else can people connect with you? Look, I think one of the best ways is to actually um, look people up if you if you want to reach out to them. Um, I'm not on Facebook a lot, although I am on Facebook. Um, and my email I use, but I get so much spam that it's kind of difficult to uh, to, to, to filter it out. Um, but there is always – I have a website, verbalistics.com.au, spelt with two L's, so don't be confused. It's quite hard to find verbalistics. Um, and unfortunately, there's a form there, but if you don't want to connect with me on LinkedIn and you can't find my telephone number or email address, although it's on my LinkedIn profile, you pop in a message um, through the form on verbalistics and reach out um, or just – Say to Leanne, hey, how the heck do I get hold of that Gina Ballerin person? And, you know, that'll be great. But the point is that having good conversations with people also means about having conversations with people that you know, like, and trust. And so having a referral or a recommendation from someone else that you know is is worth so much. It's, it's so valuable. So, yeah, I'd love to chat to anyone through Leanne who wants to chat with me. Let's, let's get, get in touch. Great. Thanks so much, Gina. It's been, yeah, great chat. And um, I'm going to I, I read this book properly and I'll let you know when I get through it all. I'll probably pick your brain and some stuff. Uh, but yes, thank you for tuning in, dear listener. You can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave me a rating and review via Apple Podcasts. I think it's called now, not iTunes. And grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials. If you're interested in connecting with me, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn to search for Leanne Shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show. You can also find me on Instagram under LeanneShelton247 or, of course, book in a free 15-minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.